It's time to roll up our sleeves and get to work. I'm Stephen Krause, and this is Up and to the Right, the no-nonsense podcast where we blend your passion with proven business principles and practical action. I want you to find and hone the skills you need to help you realize your unique impact. This is not a podcast full of buzzwords or short-term trends. This is about proven business principles and how to apply them in a way that suits your business and your personality. Please visit our website at beyond50percent.com for a full list of episodes, including what we have on the schedule for the future, as well as show notes with any links or resources that I might mention. Now let's get right into what we're going to talk about this week, and that is two things. One, we're going to talk about what the heck happened to the the Up and to the Right podcast for the last uh, 14 months, 15 months now. Um, It was, uh, I think, April of 2018 when I released uh, episode 21, and it's been over a year. What the heck happened there? We'll talk about it. And secondly, I have been a part of four acquisitions over the course of my career so far, and I thought it would be uh, interesting to talk about one lesson, one key thing that popped out for me um, that uh, I'd like to talk about for each one. So just one uh, lesson learned from each acquisition. Uh, I played a different role in each one, so I have different perspectives And, uh, I think that would be kind of a a fun thing to talk about. So the first thing is what the heck happened over the last, uh, year, uh, in terms of, uh, the up and to the right podcast. Well, I, I apologize. I do want this to be a weekly event. I am still working on that. It is going to take some more time, but I think we're getting back on track now. And, uh, what happened was that the fourth acquisition that we'll talk about today uh, occurred during that time frame. Before I go into the main topic, you may hear some construction noises. I put off recording this episode for a couple of days. I was thinking about putting it off again, but um, uh, at some point, I, these guys next door, they're animals. I'll tell you what, they're just working, working, working really hard to get the job done for uh, the tenant next door. And so props to them, but <laughs> but you may hear some of that uh some of that going on in the background. So I apologize. All right. So one other thing about the format of the podcast that I am going to change is, is if you remember from episode 21 or the earlier episodes, I had, uh, several segments, a news segment, a book segment and stuff like that. Um, I'm canning all of that. Uh, I don't think it's not, it's, it's, it, it's valuable. There's, there's absolutely no doubt about that, but there are a lot of places to get really good, uh, information in terms of news there are people that do it far better than I do. They live it every day in terms of getting the news in and, and uh, curating it for their audience. Um, and I highly recommend, you know, uh, I'm not saying don't be involved in the news or don't stay up on the news. Uh, there's just people who do it better than I do. And we're going to let them do it uh, in terms of book reviews and stuff like that. Um, you know, one person's opinion is, you know, th- exactly that. So you're, you're, um, almost as, as well off to go onto audible or Amazon or whatever, and look at the, the reviews on there and, and get the information. So if there's something I feel really strongly about, I'll mention it, but I'm going to mention it in the context of the topic. So the other last bit that I want to talk about preamble 20 minutes, I'm really shooting for 20 minute episodes, which means at this point I have 15 minutes to talk about four lessons from four acquisitions. Uh, in, in, from a, a small business perspective. So first of all, why do we care about acquisitions as a small business owner? Retirement. And that's the bottom line. 
what are you going to get out of all this work that you're putting into the business? How are you going to get out? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. And there's lots of acquisition methods and tools and, and processes that you go through. And I'm not going to deal with that today, but we care because at some point we're going to want to divest our company. We're going to want to sell it to someone else so that we can reap the benefits of having worked all these years. So the first thing I want to talk about is an acquisition that happened in 2000. Um, backing up a little bit from there in 1987, my dad and I started a company called directed energy. Uh, okay. That's a stretch. My dad started directed energy. I was 19 or something. I had taken accounting. So I was, I had the benefit of doing that. So I was the accountant. Um, for those of you who don't know back then, we actually still used paper to do accounting. We started the company with some other founders and, uh, I was a very minor shareholder and in 2000, we had the opportunity to sell that company to a publicly traded firm. And uh, well, as I mentioned, I was a minor shareholder, so I couldn't have blocked it or really, it didn't matter if I supported it. Uh, it was going to happen anyway. Uh, and it was important to the other founders. My dad and the other founders felt like they really wanted to, uh, to do this thing. And uh, as a, on a personal note, I do want to say that... Um, if you're, if you've been in a family business, you might be familiar with this. Um, I had a lot of emotional attachment to that. And so I felt, uh, I, I thought I would I would inherit the company from dad eventually. And so for me, it felt like a loss of legacy, right? So that, that will come into play a little bit later. Just put that in a, you know, pin that up and, and we'll come back to it. There's a lot that goes on here, but one of the things was that this was a very, uh, one-sided transaction in a lot of ways. The CEO of the larger company even said that, um, in, in terms of we were trying to create a business relationship with them. And he came back and said, this is a one-sided relationship. We should just buy you. And that's a paraphrase of, you know, months of discussions, but that was the ultimate, the, the takeaway. And it should have been a warning sign to us um, we were early in our careers. Uh, my, I especially was early in my career. Um, didn't really understand how lopsided it was. And we agreed to something called an all stock deal, which means that for every share of the private stock that we owned, we would get a certain number of shares of the uh, publicly traded stock. Actually, I think it was the opposite. Actually, it was the opposite of that. For every certain number of shares of the private stock, we would get one share of the publicly traded stock. You know, and, and that might sound good because you can't really trade those private shares, right? I mean, there's usually a lot of restrictions around that and a very small market. Whereas if you get a publicly traded stock, well, now, you know, the whole world might want it. So uh, it sounds like it might be a good deal. What I will tell you is that at the end of the day, you should walk that line very carefully because if the stock doesn't go up, um, if the stock stays the same, then you got what you agreed to, you know, or what you thought you were getting the value that you thought you were getting. So if you thought your company was worth a hundred shares of this new stock and the stock value stays the same and you sell that stock, you know, two years out or whatever, then you got the value that you were expecting. If that stock goes down, you didn't get the value you were expecting. So you didn't get what you thought you were agreeing to at the time of the deal. 
it's a legal contract. There's no, you didn't get um, legally wronged, but you're not going to get the value you expected out of the contract. And if it goes up, you've got a great deal, right? So that's, you know, there's definitely an upside to it if you can make that work. So, but, but you need to understand, really understand the stock that you're going to be getting. All right. And the other piece that, that we made a mistake on, in my opinion, is that we agreed not to sell the stock for a number of years. I don't mind a certain period at this point in my career, I'd probably tap out about six months, something like that. I would say, you know what, after that, I'm, I'm not comfortable. Um, an all stock deal would be a real hard sell for me now, um, at this point in my life. But, uh, the two things I would be, I'd be very leery of an all stock deal and the, the length of the term that you agree not to sell your shares, that would be something that would really cause me concern as well. So that's lesson number one from, from the acquisition of the private company probably 2005. I can't put a specific number on this anymore. I, um, but that's, that's okay. It's not important. I proposed to, to, uh, a local shop owner to buy their store. They do a sport that I enjoy. So I thought, okay, I'd like to, to do this two things here. I know I said I was only going to do one per or one lesson per thing, but one of them is really important. And I want to mention it real quick. And that is the non-disclosure agreement. If you're going to do an acquisition, whether it's a, uh, the guy across the street or across the country or across the pond, get a non-disclosure in place prior to discussing any business information that's not publicly available. Just do it with a lawyer. Don't download a, a, a document that says non-disclosure off the web and assume that it's legal in your state or your country or that it was well-written in the first place. Um, even if it's an NDA, if you find an NDA on a publicly traded company's website, do not assume that that is a good thing to copy. Do it yourself with your own attorney. If it's not worth the cost of doing an NDA, the acquisition is not worth doing in the first place. Okay. So moving on from that, I proposed to purchase this local shop and the owner and I agreed on the price. We agreed on the value of the company we agreed on the structure of the acquisition. Well, why didn't it go through? Two reasons, two simple things, one of which could have been avoided. I think one of them would have killed the deal anyway. But the first one, which was avoidable, was that owner asked me a question that I did not answer well. He said, how long do you expect to work each week to make this happen? And I told him the truth. Well, be careful here. I told him my truth. I had done some research. I had said, and I did a business plan and I said, this is what I'm going to have to change. This is how I'm going to have to be involved on a daily basis. This is how I'm going to have to be involved, involved on a weekly basis. Um, these are the things I need to be involved with. These are the things I need to structure so that I don't have to be involved with them. And I knew at the first, you know, the first six months I was going to have to work, you know, heavily in it, but I needed it to taper off so that uh, because at the time I was still employed with the company we talked about earlier. So I couldn't work full-time at two places forever, you know, uh, a, you know, a few months you can make it happen, but, but forever is, is pretty difficult. So when I told him the number that, you know, what I expected to work, it never occurred to me that what he was really asking is 
how much do you value the time I put into this place? He doesn't really care about the time I'm going to put in after he's gone. He was asking me how much I valued the position of ownership and management of his company. And it, it was a direct reflection on his performance, or at least that's where his head was at. And it never occurred to me. I was not trying to insult him. He was doing good work for a company that he had built, you know, and, and had everything to be proud of. But my answer devalued his contribution because he worked 60 hours a week or whatever, and I was going to work much less than that. And so in his head, he perceived that as a devaluation. And on top of that, um, my estimate may or may not have been right. I have no idea and we'll never know because the deal didn't go through. So I, I basically went with what I intended, what I had planned and it wasn't, uh, and honestly he didn't, it didn't feel very good for him. And in retrospect, I never should have said that it would have been very easy and honest to say as much as it takes. And it would have been true. Um, and it would have kept him, it would have, it would have prevented a devaluation of his contribution to the company over many, many years and, um, and still been a true statement. And, and so that big mistake on my part, that could have been avoided. Now, the other thing that, that killed that deal, I think, is that he wanted to stay on and work part time while he did some other stuff. And, uh, I told him specifically that I needed, um, that as, as we needed to change things, I needed the old guard to go so that we could make changes. And I didn't need the guy, uh, hanging around saying, well, we always did it this way, uh, and, and continuing or perpetuating behavior and business processes that really did need to get updated in order to improve the, the position and the performance of the company. And I didn't use that exact phraseology. It doesn't matter, but that, killed the deal for sure because he didn't want to walk away. What that meant to me in afterward and in, you know, kind of in 2020 hindsight is that he wasn't really ready to let go of the business anyway. And that's okay. You know, we explored the option together. It didn't work out for us. The lessons, um, be careful how you convey information and always get an NDA. Okay. So let's move on to 2017. So my role in this position, in this one is that, uh, I'm the general manager of a local division here in Colorado of a publicly traded company. And in, uh, late 2017, that company, uh, went into talks to be acquired by an even bigger company. So of course they inform us that this is going to happen. And now what's my role? I'm not a, I'm not a major player. I'm not a decision maker on, on either side in terms of, of corporate decision-making, and, um, I certainly don't vote enough shares of a publicly traded stock to sway, uh, you know, sw to sway that decision. So my role became, how do I take care of my team and myself and my family? And how do I put the best face on our division for the new company and support the old company, um, as we go forward? And that's what I did. I focused on how do we, how, how, what do you tell your team? How much do you tell your team? Um, when do you tell them? And I went the, the, 
route of my team is a bunch of grownups. So I will tell them everything that I am not specifically told not to say. And so I said flat out, I'll, I'll tell you everything I can. I expect you to take whatever time you need to take care of yourselves and your family, but I'm not, I'm not looking up my resume right now. And that was the truth. I, I felt like we had a good position. Uh, the company was doing uh, fine and I didn't feel like there was immediate concern and there were much bigger divisions that would have to get integrated into this new company. And I, I didn't feel like we needed to deal with anything immediately. I said, let's do our jobs. If you need to go do interviews, I'm not going to hold it against you. I respect, uh, the work that you've done and I would love to have you stay, but I get it. You know, this is a, a, a transition. Then we have no power. You know, we really, we really don't have any control over the outcome. So whatever that looks like to you, um, whatever you feel like you need to do for your family and yourself, I, I respect that. And so the, I, I think the lesson there is be ready for whatever may happen, but be calm about it. Um, I made a specific choice not to do my resume, but I made it very clear to my team that I expected them to take care of themselves. And if they wanted to do their resumes, if they needed letters of recommendation from me, whatever it took, I was happy to help them. And, uh, so be ready, but be calm when you're in the position of kind of that middle management position where you don't have control of the situation, but you do have responsibility for a group of people because that's a huge impact on people's lives or it can be. So after that acquisition occurred in, and it was finalized in January of 2018, um, in about May, it became pretty clear that we weren't going to be a good fit, but that also provided an opportunity, uh, for me to put together a buyout and ironically buy back the company that we had sold in 2000. And that, ha that was pretty exciting. I, I have to tell you, that was a fun thing to do. Um, and, and so now the role that I have is I'm the buyer and, uh, I also have to take care of my team because I need these guys. If I go private now, I still need people that can do these jobs. And if they're so scared of being private, of not having the corporate umbrella that they walk, then I have purchased basically an eggshell, right? So that was, that was, um, a really fun and exciting adventure. I did the same thing. I kept my team up to date every step of the way that I possibly could without divulging, you know, private information, uh, from my counterpart or, or, uh, personal financial information, stuff like that I avoided, but everything else that, that would directly affect them, I shared. And, uh, the lesson from that is, uh, well, I should say there are tons of lessons. So the lesson I'm going to pick today for that is that you have to know your no and understand that no deal is better than a bad deal and be, and basically be ready to walk. Okay. And that's not rage quit walk. That's because you're not getting your way. That's understanding when your counterpart, the person that you're negotiating with has crossed a line and you can't follow them because you can't make the, the deal work if you do. And that's okay. It is okay for no deal to exist. Now that would have been a bummer. I'm not lying. I'm not going to lie. I would have been very disappointed if we hadn't been able to come to an agreement, but we did. 
And uh, one of the key points is that um, I did know where I was going to stop. And in fact, at one point, my counterpart, we were arguing about, I shouldn't say arguing, we were discussing a specific topic and he said, can we, can we just split the difference? And I said, you know, I can't do that. And it was probably the scariest thing I've ever said in my life, but it was past the line. And, and the funny thing is he said, yeah, okay. (laughs) He was just seeing where the line was. You know, he, your counterpart doesn't know your line. It would be really great if we lived in a, in a transparent world, maybe where everybody could understand exactly where everybody was coming from. And these negotiations could take uh, a couple of days instead of seven months, but that's not real. So one thing I want to mention about this is the tactic that I used. I wrote everything down. I have a notebook, uh, probably going to bronze it or something later, um, for this whole negotiation or for this whole transaction. And, uh, I wrote everything down before the, you know, in preparation for phone calls. And the other thing I did every single time I got on the phone, I wrote on my whiteboard, no deal is better than a bad deal in big red letters, because once you get on the phone, it's, it, it's very easy for, uh, uh, the discussion to sway your nerves or sway your opinion or whatever. And you have to come back to your center and say, okay, no deal is better than a bad deal. And it's okay for me to say no to this or to say, I've got to take a break. So that's what I wanted to, to cover in, in this case. If, if you're, uh, involved in a business negotiation, you need to know your no. You need to know where you have to stop and be ready to, to say, all right, we've crossed the line. I can't, I can't follow. All right. Now you might've noticed that I bought back the company we sold in 2000 and there was some serious irony there. Um, and there is, and, and I guess the little note that I wanted to, to mention here is that while I felt a loss of legacy in 2000, um, I could never have predicted that almost that just about 20 years later, I would be able to bring that back into the family, bring that back private. Um, you can't always predict stuff like that, but you also can't necessarily know at the time that something you don't understand is negative because I got to tell you a lot happened between 2000 and 2018 that prepared me not only for the negotiations, but to run a private company and, and, and do it successfully. So, um, that's the things I wanted to talk about. Uh, basically, uh, beware of an all stock deal. Um, that's a real scary one. Uh, always have an NDA in place. Be careful how you communicate so that you make sure that you're, uh, maintaining the respect and dignity of your counterpart all the time. Remember that there's a person on the other side of that table or phone call in the case where you're the middle management type or, and you have, you don't have control of the situation, but you have responsibility for people below, uh, always be prepared, but be calm and take care of your people, take care of your team. And then finally, you know, know your no, know where you have to stop and be willing and ready to stop there. All right. So that's it. I, like I said, I, th- I think I mentioned earlier, I'm going to try to get these to 20 minutes. I'm not doing that today, but we're close. Um, I want to thank you for listening today. 
Your questions, comments, or suggestions are welcome at q.a at b50p.com. That's b50p.com. You can subscribe to Up and to the Right on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. Um, I've got it on YouTube now on, on the Beyond 50% YouTube channel. And you can also listen to each episode on the website at beyond50percent.com. Now let's get back to work. Mm-hmm.